You are listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. This podcast has been created to help you connect and achieve your destiny as a leader. For more information, visit our website at fcf.org. So talking about the, because we were talking about the rage, right? Yes. And so what is my question? So the epi means above. Yes. So explain that. How yeah. does that work? That um, the lust, because it again says that you're drawn away, lured. So the word drawn away, just so that you get a bigger picture. Yes. The word drawn away is the word that is used for hunters who are luring uh, an animal mm-hmm. in to be captured. Okay. So you're baiting them, you're drawing them in. Mm-hmm. So again, you're drawn away by your own lust, mm-hmm. your own lust. So somehow it's the desire that is right above the rage. Mm. So when we weaponize, uh, Weaponize our rage, so eroticized rage, monetized rage. And again, it's, it can be that for food. It can be that anything. That when we do that, what it is is the rage is rumbling, and then we medicate with that desire that's right above it. Hmm. And so that's our go-to. Gotcha. So if we, can, if we can restore the rage, which, again, is a shame emotional identity right. with loss of control and panic. Right. When we do that, and incidentally, interestingly enough, the three words that I use for rage, the three words there, right? those are based on uh, witnessing and observing human behavior in thousands of people okay. and digging into their storylines, their narratives, and of course, therapists are able to do that. Right. So I do want to clarify that the Bible doesn't define rage mm-hmm. and it doesn't define lust. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't define epithemia. <laughs> right. So you have to use general revelation okay. to be able to have more clarity about it. But yes, that is, okay. that's the process. Okay, that makes sense. I, w- I didn't make the connection there yeah. and that, and just because of my, where my mind went. Yeah. So good. Anything else on that? Mm-mm. What about you? Anything else you really want to cover? What do you want to talk about? What do I want Some to of our co- conversations we've had from our previous podcast or I think I think I probably would mm-hmm. like to talk about um, I've, I've woven it in and out throughout the entire interview uh-huh. but I think I'd like to talk a little bit about psychology and the Bible yeah let's do it and where they fit um, it's interesting because uh, we typically have uh, a tendency. I know I have years ago. I'm not there now, but I still witness a lot of people that is, live in the black and white, the yeah. either or, right. and that if any part of it's wrong, it's all wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, how do we merge or understand the place of psychology today? Today in uh, Christian circles, you'll have people who will say there's no such thing as healing uh, the soul, uh, the Bible talks about renewing the mind, or they'll say there's no such thing as inner healing. And it's all about renewing the mind. And so just a couple of thoughts here. Mm-hmm. First, I think when I hear that statement, I think to myself, well, what is the mind? And can the mind interact at all with the body? 
does the mind have any play with, through, in the brain? And so the question would be, can you heal the brain? And what we end up with is semantics. Mm. Right. And we end up with this black and white, you know, polarized silo mm-hmm. of I'm fighting against us and them kind of deal when it's like, why do we do that? Because the real goal is to get people healthy and right. strong. And uh, then you have uh, folks who will say things like, psychology is wrong because the philosophers of the past used it. People like Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, they were all people that were pagans and, uh, and they had some jacked up ideas. And so Christians will be like, you've got to avoid all of that. And what they failed to, to know, as you had mentioned also uh, in private, that uh, the Apostle Paul was a great in-depth student of Greek philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, all three of those guys were before Paul. He studied all three of them. Mm-hmm. He knew them. Even in Acts, when he goes to the Greek people, he quotes the Greek philosophers. Well, who was he quoting? Probably, probably, I don't know, but probably Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that he agreed with everything they said? No. Not necessarily. That the Bible teaches general revelation and specific revelation. That is a common reality. General revelation is where Romans chapter 1 talks about all of the earth and natural creation. That because of creation, we have a witness that there is a God. And that makes us as humans without excuse. Mm -hmm. Even Jesus, when he teaches, he uses the natural to give support in simplifying spiritual truths. In other words, he assumes you can't grasp a spiritual truth just by being shoved in front of the spiritual truth. Mm -hmm. He says, I've got to help you. So he says things like, consider the birds of the air and how they don't, you know, build barns and God takes care of them. Why are we talking about birds? That's Mm -hmm. natural. Because there is something in natural revelation, general revelation, that is helpful to us as natural people to aspire and accept things that are of a spiritual nature. Mm -hmm. In that same kind of way, Jesus talks about seed time and harvest. He talks about the prodigal son. He talks about uh, the lost sheep. He talks about the lost coin. And he creates for us these emotional experiences around very natural things. Now, what do we mean by natural revelation? Natural revelation is where we have the witnessing of systems that God set in order. It's design. It's intelligent design that God created an earth that actually has purpose. It, it, it flies, it works through systems mm-hmm. that can't just randomly have happened and that we observe those and it helps us understand God himself. Well, natural revelation is not authoritative and it's not inerrant. And there's some things that people say in it that are inappropriate, wrong, or they're just, you know, theories. But the word of God, which is specific revelation to us, is inerrant. It is authoritative. And so we build our lives on God's word, but to eliminate all of this natural revelation for which psychology and neuroscience fits in, to eliminate that is first irresponsible in my mind. And secondly, it's disingenuous Mm. because anybody who says 
that you shouldn't have any natural thinking like psychology because psychology has its roots in Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato, that you shouldn't, you shouldn't adhere to any of that. Well, I'm curious, do you ever look at any secular knowledge about anything and, and, and use it? Mm-hmm. You know, if I use a mechanic, mm-hmm. he didn't learn mechanic work on my vehicles I've, from the Bible. Right. If I go to a chef, the chef is trained. And what the chef has done is looked at patterns mm-hmm. and honed the senses and the skills down to where today they can produce some amazing food. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't get that out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So when I look at psychology, I'm trying to see what's the color commentary, what's the insight. I don't have to take it. I don't have to embrace it. But when it serves me to be able to have a handle, like I just had gone over with James chapter 1, that we're drawn away by our own lust or apathemia, the desires that sit right on top of our rage, which builds down into shame, which fears behind, and how to uh, overcome that stuff. If I get something that is helpful from psychology, I want to embrace that. But that in no way is to assume that every theory in psychology is something you embrace. Mm. And sometimes I can say for myself, I assume people know that. I assume that when I tell people to go and engage a therapist, that they know that the therapist is somebody who's a coach, who's a trainer, who has looked at the patterns, has studied the the different uh, natural observable tendencies in humanity and cause and effect. And now then they're giving the best of the best that they've learned today to help you take God's word ultimately and feel his love and feel his grace. One other thing, and I, I do hear this commonly, is somebody will say, well, isn't God enough? Isn't his grace enough? Right. Isn't his love enough? Isn't the Bible enough to do it on its own? And my answer to that is, is again, that is a disingenuous, I know it's sincere, but it's a disingenuous uh, statement, projection, because the fact is we've all learned about God using observable natural revelation to understand who God is. That's right. So for me, psychology is not in competition with the Bible Mm -hmm. that I've already stamped. The Bible is my final authority. Right. And if anything disagrees with what I understand, I'm sticking with the Bible. Exactly. But psychology and natural revelation is going to be tremendous. It has been, I can say from my own experience, tremendously helpful. And then when, when people say, and this again is, is a common thing, they'll say, well, I got, I got set free uh, and I became physically healed, miraculously healed, emotionally healed. I did all that because I spent this amount of time with Jesus. I fasted, I mm-hmm. prayed, or, you know, 15 different variations. And I had this miracle moment. Well, all I, all I would have to say to that is I celebrate that. Absolutely. That's real. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But to assume that that's the only way is insensitive to the human experience where many people are in a process and there's nuances around them. So if a therapist will help break that down to where I can actually experience God's love, Mm -hmm. why not do it? And that is my experience. I've had tremendous freedom that has been advanced in my own life because of what I've understood through primarily psychology that is infused by neuroscience. Mm. Psychology by itself, that's a little different for me Mm. if you're just looking at patterns. But the more numbers of people that have had cause and effect outcomes, now then that has a greater credibility for me. Sure. 
So again, I, this whole piece is just what I think about how to how to manage psychology in the light of, of the Bible That's and as a Christian. That's really good. That help? Yes. yes. Very much. Awesome. Way to go. Thanks for owning that one. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, I thought of something, okay. and I've actually talked to you about it before, just last week. Walter started Mother's Day out two weeks ago, and of course he gets he's sick. Three. He's three. No, he's Walter's five, five months. months. Five. Oh, f the okay. baby. who's Hugo? Hugo is my nine-year-old. Okay. Then I have Theodore, who's three, okay. and Walter is five months. I got you. Hugo, Theodore, and Walter. Love it. Of course, he gets sick right away. It's just all congested still. And so I'm going through this thing of, okay, I believe in supernatural healing, obviously. Yeah. And I am not going to have him be sick forever like this is just yeah. stupid because everybody's like oh well he's in daycare now so get used to the sniffles and congestion oh right. sorry i refuse thank you <laughs> but then my whole brain i'm i'm getting him to sleep one night and i'm having this inner dialogue with myself going yeah. well do you believe that because you're in fear because you don't want him to be sick or do you actually believe in the miraculous healing power of god i mean i am going back and forth yeah of I know who God is, I know what he says about me and my family, I know he wouldn't want my son to be sick. Yeah. I, you know, like I'm going through this whole thing anyway. Care to elaborate on that whole? Uh, wow. <laughs> can, can you and make go. sense of my brain? <laughs> can you help me there? <clears throat> and this is what I was talking mm -hmm. to you about before where this was when I realized that people of my age that grew up in church are in a more... Uh, dangerous position than people that have not been in church at all because yeah. again we have these preconceived notions of who God is of what he says about us of what the Bible is of what the church is what Christianity is yeah. as a whole we necessarily haven't taken it to our inner selves and made it real to yeah. us now I did that three years ago but it's been a process of unfurling that and so here I am at miraculous healing yeah yeah well you know, just in that thought process, yeah. I was also thinking about how, when you were talking about, what'd you call it, general revelation? Uh -huh. I mean, that is the average believer. And, yes. and even some average Christian leaders. It's true. It doesn't come from a place of Holy Spirit that is driven, so dug it out for myself. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to right. me. And now I'm seeing it mapped out in this capacity. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more of so and so said or yeah. right. natural experiences. Yes. Yes. So you true. Know, I fed on your favorite yeah. author or your favorite speaker. Yes. Who walked in a revelation you wanted to live out of. Yeah. And you let their revelation become your norm, but not your revelation. Wow. That's so, that's so real. But isn't that kind of the same thing that she's facing now? Now she's looking at this and going, is this my revelation? Yeah. Or is this, am I reacting in fear to something that should be my revelation? Yeah. The other, yeah. like, oh, the thought popped in my head. Oh, just turn on healing scriptures and make him listen to that while he sleeps because that's going to do, you know, like it was just right. this no, I get whole it. rabbit I get trail it. I went down. Yeah. Well, 
Um, that question is one that I tend to want to give you a holistic answer, which may take a few minutes. Do you do you want to do that? I do. I do. Okay. Do you? I do. I'm okay, good. then let's go. Well, just, okay. I want to go back to ground zero of our theology. All right. Okay. And then we'll wind up at the brain. So let's start with theology. I think that before anybody can actually dig down into the word, they need to acknowledge that they have a bias around God's sovereignty and man's free will. I know it's like, why do we have to go to that? Uh, yeah, I'm really interested so, by this. Continue. Um, God's sovereignty, uh, which is a biblical uh, teaching of who God is, it's his nature. He's sovereign. Sovereign just simply means he can do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't have to give an account of his matters to anybody. He doesn't check with anybody. He doesn't have to say, is it okay if I do it? Doesn't need anybody's permission. He's God. So God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he has given man free moral agency to choose. How those two now interact is a precursor to how you read everything in the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the age-old eternal salvation or the doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, is usually argued from a classical Calvinist position, which is that God arbitrarily decides who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. That is his act of sovereignty, independent of man's free will, all the way to the other extreme, which is classical Arminianism, which is that you and I, through our behavior, we perform our way into salvation and we perform our way out of salvation. Mm. Well, uh, following your, your granddad, my spiritual father, mm -hmm. um, he would say he fits right in the middle, that he's not either or the extremes, he's right in the middle and that's where I would fit. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason that we start there is because many people think that every experience they have on the planet is because God is orchestrating it. Right that it's happening because God wants it to happen. I was with yesterday, uh, two days ago, Sunday, I was at a wedding and a really cool dude was the DJ for the uh, reception. And I talked to him at length and I mean, just a good dude. He'd be somebody I'd like to hang out with. And it was interesting because, you know, he knows I'm a pastor. I just did the ceremony. It was a sweet, it was one of those ceremonies as a pastor you just love because it was sweet. It was, I knew the people really well. Um, they had made great choices and it's just, it was a beautiful ceremony. So everything was great and right. The DJ then, um, I asked him, are you married? He's 41. Are you married? He said, no, I had a girlfriend, but... I'd been with her, I think he said five years, but we didn't end up getting married. And he said, when I broke it off, he said, I just really felt like God was just really pleased with me. And I said, really, how was God pleased with you? And he said, man, as soon as I broke it off, uh, I'm a real estate agent by day and a DJ by night and real estate opportunities start flooding in on me. And I got all these DJ, DJ contact appointments and schedules. And he's like, it just really felt like God was so pleased. Well, as I talked to him a little bit more, I don't think he goes to church anywhere. So his entire, what you were saying earlier, his entire revelation of God is based on experience. Well, my, my heart hurts for him in that because all it takes is for a fallen world to seize on him 
and now he thinks God's ticked off at him right. or abandoned him right. or neglected him. And so this whole idea of sovereignty and how it intersects with our free will is a critical first step. So when I talk to my boys, I've got 20-year-old boys that uh, are Jesus lovers, and because of the culture is so pervasive today, and mm-hmm. it's everywhere and all social. I mean, where when I was growing up, I didn't know half the things anybody was ever thinking about mm-hmm. in a secular mind. Today, it's everywhere. I mean, it's right in front of you. Right. And so I want them to know your theology, you need to first be clear what you think about sovereignty and free will, because you're going to read every scripture from that angle. So when I see, as an example, people on radio who are the doctrine theology police who would name some of the people that are mm-hmm. dear to our hearts and even call them heretics or just say that they are off. Whenever they w- will do that, everybody gets all stirred up around whatever the label item is that they've named. And here's what nobody stops to, to consider. We're not even arguing about that. What we're arguing about is sovereignty and free will. Mm. So can we just put that item on the shelf? So one of those items is, is those are the health people, the healing, miracle healing people. Mm. That's what sometimes it's projected, or they'll say health and wealth type people. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, it's an insult to label without conversation. Mm -hmm. So if if you're just throwing a hand grenade and labeling it health and wealth, then there is no conversation that'll make any of us better. Now it's just a fight. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the first thing I want to do is, is, is pull that off. And then the second thing I want to do is say, before we talk about the way God interacts with your physical body and healing or miracles, and before we talk about uh, God's blessing in your life, let's push pause on that topic. And I want to talk to you about sovereignty and free will, mm-hmm. because what you believe about God's sovereignty and how it interacts with free will is really the basis for which you're going to believe whatever you're going to believe about this other piece. Mm -hmm. Now, once you get clear on what you believe about God's sovereignty, so here's how I would frame that up just, and I'm giving you nickel answers around something that's a very big topic. But God in his sovereignty is not just sovereign in this moment. That God could do anything he wanted to do from eternity past all the way up to this moment. He made choices inside his sovereignty, expressing his sovereignty, and those choices now has become the Bible. He's chosen to give us a Bible, which is a covenant. And so the Bible is the written, established, sovereign will of God. The Bible is God's sovereign will. Now he cannot contradict. He saw in his sovereignty, he chose to never be able to contradict the covenant. So I can know what God wants to do in his sovereignty by the Bible. Mm -hmm. So now then let's transition from sovereignty to the next big cornerstone. The next big cornerstone is redemption. Redemption is what Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection. It is an accomplished fact. This is not something that now we have to get God to shift in his sovereignty to be sold into that now I'm, I'm going to negotiate with you to get you to want to do. Because God in his sovereignty chose to forever and in eternity establish his will, it's forever settled in heaven and it cannot be disrupted. It now then is based in what Jesus did in redemption. Redemption is that 
because of Jesus' sacrifice, all of our sin has been eradicated. If our sin's been eradicated, then all the consequences to that sin has been eradicated. So if sin is what brought into the earth sickness, disease, poverty, uh, fear, uh, shame, I mean, we could go through a laundry list of terms. Sin brought that in. When Jesus met the sin issue in redemption, it is now finished, accomplished, it's done. So when it comes to things like healing, there is nothing I can possibly do to get God more willing to heal me. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that expresses the passion of God any more than him sending Jesus to be crucified mm -hmm. and raised from the dead. So redemption finalized it. So now what I'm doing, if I go to the next cornerstone, so you've got God's sovereignty, you've got redemption, redemption is done, healing is ours. It is, it is accomplished. I, I can't do anything to get God to want to heal me or my kids. But now we move to the next piece, the cornerstone, which is spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is where the emphasis of man's free moral agency acts. So if God's already provided it, the big million dollar question is why haven't I experienced it? I haven't experienced it because the earth for which God created, God showed a revelation in the natural as to who he is by creating systems that we call laws of physics. These laws that govern it now then are not uh, in this kind of invisible randomness, but they are all cause and effect. They can be proven over and over. They are consistent in the way they display themselves. So I use the example of the Wright brothers with airplanes. When they tried to fly multiple times, their airplane didn't fly and they crashed. Even people in the religious community, because they were pastor's kids, even people in the religious community would say to them, if God wanted you to fly, you'd have made you with wings. Mm -hmm. Well, they stayed consistent until they cooperated well with the laws that govern flight or aerodynamics, mm -hmm. and then they flew. So catch this. This is, this is so important for people to frame up things like the miraculous in this way. When the Wright brothers flew that airplane, was it a flight because God just all of a sudden said, okay, you've been praying and praying and praying. Now... I'm going to sovereignly give you the miracle of flight. I don't think that's what happened. No. I think what happened is, is through insight, they began to cooperate with the laws that govern and they began to fly. Mm -hmm. If that is the way we understand the physical world, that's natural revelation. Mm -hmm. Now we move into spiritual truths and spiritual realities. And it would only make sense that God would have spiritual laws that govern, not laws like 10 commandment laws, right. but laws like gravity. Right. So here's a question. If a guy walks off the top of this building and he moves out beyond the space of the natural building, the law of gravity will be engaged and that guy's going to come down. Is that because God is uh, personally involved with sucking them to the earth for a painful <laughs> impact? No. No. It's because they engaged a law that preexisted. Redemption is the establishment of all the spiritual laws that exist. Spiritual authority is where we are learning how to execute those laws to receive what Jesus already provided for us in redemption. So now it's incumbent on us to activate the laws that govern miracles, that govern healing. 
it's not God personally deciding, I'm going to do a miracle here. I'm not going to do one here. I'm going to do one here. I'm not going to do one there. Now, God does, incidentally, give this caveat, small print, inclusion of what's called gifts of the Holy Spirit. So God can randomly mm-hmm. break through all the laws that govern, which is the natural order or the normal order of the way miracles are done. He can supersede that and drop a miracle in without there being any activation of a human in faith or otherwise. So that's spiritual authority. The Holy Spirit now is the fourth cornerstone. He is the agency living within us to help us grow in our understanding of spiritual authority so we can access redemption. Does that all make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's helping us to grow in spiritual authority so that we learn how to activate those things like miracle healing. Now, everything I just said to you is separated from this idea that God in his sovereignty is hovering here and every miracle is personal. And so what just, what just got described to us, it eliminates all performance, right. which a lot of our, our uh, people who have learned some things about faith, they have utilized faith as a prompter to God to get God to perform on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And if that's what it is, it's a work. Faith becomes a merit. Mm -hmm. But if we believe that redemption paid for it and we can't do anything to get God enhanced in his willingness, he's already more passionate than we can comprehend. Then what we're now doing is saying that this isn't some personal issue where if you get a miracle, it's because God kissed you. And if you don't get one, he neglected you. None of that's to play. So I take all of that now then and move towards you, Whitney, with the question that you ask. Right. If it's me, and all I can do is share how I would do it. If it's me, I'm going to walk in the light I know. And I do that to honor Jesus. That if Jesus would be crucified for my healing, then I'm going to honor him by declaring to my mountain, I'm going to speak to my sickness. I'm going to speak to disease. I'm going to declare protection. I'm going to talk to my future. I'm going to declare those things on the authority of his word, not to get him to do something, but because I'm activating spiritual law and I want to honor the beauty and the wonder of who he is Mm -hmm. because he's worthy. After what he went through, he's worthy of that response from Mm me. So when it's not working or I don't see fruitfulness out of it, then I turn and I love myself as a fallen being who is being transformed and moving from faith to faith and glory to glory. I'm not flawless. I'm not perfect. I am a human that if, if anybody had lived the life I have, it's possible that they would, you know, struggle to see certain spiritual laws in its fullness the way that I'm still growing to understand. But I'm not going to shut down while I'm growing. I'm not going to quit because if something doesn't work, a lot of times what we do is we think, well, if I tried something in this spiritual law of faith, if I tried something and it doesn't look like it brought fruitfulness, then I quit. Well, wait, 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 wait. What I tell our people is just because you don't know something doesn't know, doesn't mean you don't know anything. And just because I don't know why the spiritual law isn't fully activating in fruitfulness for me doesn't mean what I know about 
God's sovereignty, redemption, spiritual authority in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean all of that's not true. All of that's true. I'm still just over here tooling with some very minute details. So if it's me and I'm sitting in your situation, I'm fighting the good fight of faith, but I'm doing it not in opposition or across the table from Jesus. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm inviting you to go on a journey with me. You want my boy healed more than I want my boy healed. You want me to walk in victory more than I want to walk in victory. And so I want to experience shared experience, intimacy. I want to enjoy you, which is fundamentally what the call of God is. The call of God isn't your unique assignment on the planet. The call of God is that you invite Jesus into an intimate partnership to face every mountain, to face every stress, to face every opposition, and even the things that you're assigned to do. The call of God is how you go about it in intimacy and partnership with Jesus to fulfill the assignment. Mm. So some people feel like my life isn't worth anything. I just wish I knew what God called me to do. And the answer is he's called you to partner with him to take redemption and apply it in every area of your life. That is beautiful. That brought me to tears. That is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love you. I do too. Thanks. I appreciate that you show emotions. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. If things were just explained, I know that was a very lengthy explanation, but to me it's so simple. Yeah. Because... I don't know if everybody experienced this or if it's just me, special me. Uh, everything was all almost like mythological. Yeah. You know, it's like, and obviously I've seen miraculous healings. I've seen miraculous finances come. I've seen, Absolutely. you know, but that's not an everyday occurrence. And so you, I was trying to navigate through mm-hmm. that how. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. this isn't an everyday thing. Yeah. So how does your faith work through all of that? And that was just like the most beautiful explanation oh, of all of it. It was Well, well thank you for so letting beautiful. me give you the bigger picture. You have been listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast, where our focus is to help you achieve your destiny as a leader. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, visit our website at fcf.org. 